Welcome, you're listening to the Mac Observer's Background Mode. I am your host, John Marchalero, and this week my guest is the glorious Kelly Goumont. <laughs> Hi, John. I'm still a little uh, excited because this morning when we recorded the podcast, uh, you told me I was very smart, and that made my day. Well, you are, and not only that, but <laughs> you are a longtime podcaster, contributing editor for the Mac Observer, the host of the Mac Observer's Daily Observations podcast, and a tech support guru. And this is Kelly's <laughs> 11th appearance on Background Mode. And we're going to chat about our favorite TV shows from the 80s and some cool movies and TV shows that we've seen recently, as we're wont to do. Yes. With people spending more time at home and working out of the house and doing more streaming, I thought it was a good time to uh, kind of put our stamp of approval on some shows. But first, I want to wax nostalgic and go back and look <laughs> at some of our favorite TV shows. You know, about a month ago, I forget how this came up, but it was about a month ago. We got the idea on TDO that we should talk about some of our favorite shows from the 1980s. I forget. We were talking about Hill Street Blues and Sergeant Esther House. You're closing on TDO. Let's be careful out there. That's that's what it is. The inside Mm -hmm. baseball of that is the end of the the evolved ending of TDO. Yeah. And that's what triggered our discussion. So I wrote out a list of my favorite TV shows from the 80s. Now, I did not check. Uh, which one of these shows are available on streaming TV, like in archive mode on mm-hmm. Amazon or Netflix or something like that? So some of them may not be readily available for free uh, streaming on a service. Mm-hmm. But um, there were some awfully good shows from the 80s that really turned me on and had a strong influence on me personally. I think the number one show that influenced me was Miami Vice. Miami Vice was a new kind oh, of show. Wow. Jan Hammers, Jan, Jan Hammers introductory <laughs> yes. music was a bolt from the blue. I had never seen a TV show like this. I had never heard introductory music. I had grown up in the Ozzy and Harriet days. <laughs> so Miami Vice Which was like... Which is also like, a really good theme song for the record. Yeah, but, yeah. So um, this show really lit me up. And then he was driving a Ferrari Daytona and then later a Testarossa. And the whole atmosphere and the color of the show, the music of Jan Hammer, the uh, the two-tone gun, which is much mm-hmm. talked about on the internet. Uh, his uh, naked ankles. His but pastel remember, shirts. Like, there were no socks in Miami oh, yeah. in the 80s, apparently. Um, yeah, and it was... It, it, it looked and sounded like absolutely nothing else on television at absolutely. the time. Absolutely. Yeah, I think it was my favorite show from the 80s. And of course it's absolutely one of mine. Exceptionally fond of Edward James almost, too. He later showed up uh, as Commander Adama on Battlestar Galactica. Did a whole mm-hmm. bunch of stuff in between, but that's my most recent memory of what the work he's done. Yeah. And 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 just fantastic and everything. Like he he really was the right choice for that for uh the captain. Because like he lent the gravity to it to sort of remind them, you know, what they were what they were doing and what they were fighting because it's a cop show. So um, like the anchor of that, I always really enjoyed like the the reminder that this is the thing that they're doing. It's not always about you know the suits and the cars and all of that. So I remember in one of the Miami Vices, I don't remember what year or what episode it was, but Edward James almost character got into an exceptionally cool karate fight. <laughs> and it was very well orchestrated and very well done. And I was a karate student at the time, so I was particularly appreciative oh. 
how the yeah how I don't remember that. that at the time. Okay, so number two on my list was I think Hill Street Blues with mm-hmm. Daniel J. Trevanti and Veronica Hamill. That was another show that kind of broke out of the mold. It did. I, it, it it handled the events of police work in a way that was both charming and exceptionally practical and brutal in certain ways. And it had a whole bunch of stars. I mean, a whole bunch of people who went on to star in other shows and have a glorious future. But mm-hmm. Hill Street Blues was a show that I kind of lived for. And, and I don't know what it was. I think it was probably Veronica Hamill. <laughs> <laughs> that wouldn't surprise me. Yeah. Uh, the, what I remember about Hill Street Blues, like when I think back on it now, I can, I can kind of consider... Hill Street Blues was about all the other people that Crockett and Tubbs walked by on Miami Vice when they would go into the station. Mm. And there were all those guys and girls, all those men and women at desks at typewriters, right? Like filling out paperwork and Mm -hmm. having little conversations in the background and stuff. And like those people were the people that Hill Street Blues was about. Yeah. Because like the the hotshot detective folks in Hill Street Blue in Hill Street Blues were not the point of the program like they were on Miami Vice. So I think for me, that was the thing that was novel about it was that it was all these sort of regular police that we were getting their stories of. Number three on my list was, of course, Magnum P.I. with Tom Selleck. That's another show that kind of broke the mold. <gasps> Tom, Tom Selleck started out as a model and showed. I and can see how why. he got into <laughs> acting and how he got into that position on the show. I'm not sure what the history was, but... It was an exceptional show. And what I liked about the show was that he had a military background. He was a naval officer who turned private detective. Mm-hmm. And he had friends. Friends with helicopters. <laughs> yes. Friends uh, who flew so helicopters in Vietnam and, 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 and continued to fly helicopters as a tourist service. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But well, uh, this the, is the, the thing humor I can't and the tell charm you about. And the, and the light. The approach to that show was was really a lot of fun. I, you know, I can't I can't think of too many shows these days that are as much f- just sheer fun as Magnum PI. There's lots of good shows, lots of dramatic shows, lots of shows that take themselves very seriously. Mm-hmm. Some shows that are just high quality, like NCIS. Other shows that mm-hmm. are excessively violent, but think of themselves as you know important shows. But Appointment television in the 80s, you got, you got ready for, for Magnum P.I. and you were just giddy with enthusiasm and enjoyment. That's hard to do. Everybody sat down and watched it together is yeah. what I remember. And yeah. uh, like, well, at least at my house. Um, and uh, John, I'm sure it will surprise you to know it was my mom who led the charge to for everyone to sit down and watch Tom Selleck in Hawaii for an hour. <laughs> um. It was, for us, it was really great. So uh, uh, I think my mom might have had a crush on Magnum, aside from that. But um, I will oh, tell you really? that, <laughs> I know. Well, <laughs> she had she had eyeballs and a pulse, like she was doomed, you know. Um, so uh, I can tell you that's on Prime Video because uh, Mr. Kelly has uh, started watching it, sort of like he'll put it on on his iPad at his desk while he's working and just sort of have it as kind of white noise in the background. And we watched a couple of them just sitting, you know, to watch them on the TV. And 
I think it holds up better than people might remember. Yes, the hairstyles are still the hairstyles of the 80s and it's still Hawaii in the 80s, but uh, like the the friendship is there and like the camaraderie of mm-hmm. uh, Rick and TC and Magnum yep. and and Higgins's like weapons grade fussiness about everything. <laughs> like all of that is just as fun to watch and as charming as I remember. Like you were talking about the fun of it. Like that, and, uh, like the Miami Vice music. Oh, that theme song, mm-hmm. Magnum PI theme song, kind of and you. Up. It took them a while to get to that though, because we watched the first. We watched the first couple of the first season, and I yeah. went, "This is nonsense. This isn't the theme music." <laughs> and Mr. Oh, Kelly was, you know, if that were the theme that. music for this show, I would not watch this show. Well, yeah, I think they adjusted it a little bit till they got to the Magnum music that that those of us who who know and love it know and love. Um, yeah. A so also, I did find right Miami now. Vice on Amazon Prime. For There's people. a remake going uh, on right now on that does not do the music very well, and I stopped watching it because oh. it was boring, and the music was not <laughs> done very well. So, and the That's characters not were not that charming. Yeah, yeah. but I have enjoyed uh, both of, uh, both of those programs uh, retroactively. I did find Miami Vice on Amazon Prime as well. I did just peek real quick. Good to know. Uh, I'm not sure where else it's available. It might be on Hulu because it's an NBC show. Um, I'm not sure if you can get Miami Vice elsewhere. Like maybe with Hulu, it might be part of that, or uh, maybe NBC has it free online or something. I don't know, but I'm betting there's at least one other avenue for it besides Prime Video. Speaking of elsewhere. You've segued beautifully into my fourth favorite show, Saint Elsewhere. That was a show that was a a medical show that was kind of black humor, kind of weird. What if Hill Street Blues, but doctors was kind of my take on it. And and like um, Hill Street Blues, it had a whole bunch of characters that went on to do more famous things. Denzel Washington. Mm-hmm. Uh, Mark Harmon, of course, Howie Mandel, a whole yeah. cast of people who played doctors who mm-hmm. went on to do, you know, that was at the launching point of their career, so to speak. It was a giant audition tape. And and not just actors, uh, both Hill Street Blues and St. Elsewhere behind the camera, lots of lots of off-screen careers were launched. Uh, we have Law & Order because Dick Wolf was in the was uh, on the, the staff of, I think it was Hill Street Blues. Um, so Hill Street Blues is, is absolutely why we have law, all the law and order that we have now. So if you're into those shows, uh, you have Hill Street Blues to thank for that. Um, we look, I think we looked that up when we, were st- when we got to talking about Hill Street Blues. And there were lots of people that went on to create other shows that had, st- it was either their first or maybe, you know, third or fourth um, crew credit on a TV show that went on to much greater things. So both of those shows were really launching pads for all kinds of talent. You have to be really, really good in your humor in the 80s to be confident and to be able to go without a laugh track. You have that drop-dead, sort of quasi-sick, semi-disturbed sense of humor that (laughs) um, gets you rolling on the floor laughing and you don't really need a soundtrack. One show that I don't know if it needed a soundtrack or not, because we've never tried it, but there was MASH, (laughs) which most notably did have a soundtrack. It became unfashionable to use soundtracks later, you know, film before a live studio audience. 
laugh tracks yeah they yeah and they're kind of hit and miss now even i think I uh, some shows have them some shows don't i don't watch very many of the uh comedies uh today but uh, mm-hmm. most of them are filmed before a studio audience it's the thing to do yes yeah yeah i remember i remember really liking mash uh, as a kid i didn't always understand it i was very young when i was on tv uh, and I remember sitting and watching it and it almost felt like science fiction to me because as a small child who lived in Oregon, uh, like all, you know, and this is like the 70s and 80s, like to watch the Korean War, first of all, was so outside of my grade schooler experience and then uh, having it be you know first it's a war and also it's in korea and also it was all these years ago and so for me it was a very very different show than it was for my parents who remember the korean war so um i remember laughing at things and you know um winchester was funny and and you know radar had his teddy bear and that was nice and i was like clingers outfits and but for me i loved how radar echoed back what you were saying they made a big thing about that early on and then they kind of drifted yeah. away from it and i was disappointed they didn't keep it up yeah and I, yeah. but I liked, um, like the stuff that I enjoyed out of it was very different, but I could always sort of tell I was watching something good, even if I didn't always follow along with what was going on. So, um, I know it led to a lot of probably uncomfortable for my parents conversations because I would ask like, why are they mad at that person? And, you know, let's sit the child down and have a discussion about racism and, you know, like why war is terrible and why this isn't something people want to do. And, you know, so I'm sure uh, MASH was probably an in for a few of those because I know I would watch it and have a lot of questions. And honestly, that was the thing that I noticed about Magnum a little bit as well is that um, it was never a secret and it was never like a hidden thing or a shameful thing that uh, Magnum was in Vietnam and that uh, Rick and TC were also in Vietnam. Right. Like they just, it was just a piece of who they were. It was here's what's up and you know this is part of it and i think in at least a couple of the episodes i've seen tc is wearing like a naval hat like from the the unit he served with or something and i think he wears that most of the time i don't know if that was an early thing that faded but he's wearing like a hat representing his his naval unit on it and it was a thing that was interesting to me at the time because i didn't remember ever seeing people on television who had been soldiers and you know or you know had served in some way and that it was just a thing that came up occasionally in conversation and that was it i think it was part of the healing process it took us a while to yeah. recover from the um emotional difficulties of the vietnam war and start healing as mm-hmm. a nation speaking of yeah, the korean like, war you know mash was soldiers like mash was all about soldiers and there were shows on war with soldiers in them but sort of the the afterward like once you're not a soldier anymore and you're out in the world that was the thing that always kind of struck me about magnum and that's probably because like you were talking about the healing uh i knew people uh my father served in vietnam and i knew other people who had served in vietnam and in korea in my family and most of them really didn't want to talk about it so it was a very different experience for me to see people kind of be upfront about it and talk about it like this is a thing just like i'm left-handed and i like the portland trailblazers and you know i went to vietnam like these are things about me and that's just a thing you know and it wasn't it wasn't weird or awkward or anything so watching that for me was also kind of eye-opening 
MASH was a comedy, but if you want to learn a little bit about the atmosphere and what life was like during the Korean War and the American approach to the war, there's a very good movie that I can highly recommend. Uh, it's called The Bridges of Tokori, about a naval pilot, and it's got Grace Kelly and William Holden. Yay! Hey! Grace Kelly's I'll take that. amazing in this movie, and... Uh, it's a, it's a great military aircraft carrier, naval aviation movie that, uh, that uh, is exceptionally well filmed. And it's, it's a really, really good movie. The Bridges of Tokori. Okay. Well, we've come to the end of the first segment. And so it's time for a commercial break. Uh, folks, we'll be right back in 60 seconds. I'm chatting with Kelly Gumont. Stay with us. Today, our sponsor is MacPaw. One of MacPaw's apps I want to tell you about today is Clean My Mac 10. Clean My Mac 10 is a beautifully designed application for managing clutter on your Mac. It shows you exactly what's stored on your Mac, revealing app leftovers and system junk that you didn't even know existed. The app's most popular feature is the Smart Scan. It examines your system for system log files and user cache that is no longer needed. Smart Scan also does a quick malware scan. Time to complete, just a few seconds. Designed for Mac OS 10.10 and higher, Clean My Mac 10 helps speed up even the oldest machines. The maintenance feature offers multiple tweaks to optimize your slow system. Installation takes just a couple of minutes. Clean My Mac 10 has a trial mode, which allows you to try out the app's features for free and decide whether it works for you. Visit macpaw.com, that's M-A-C-P-A-W.com forward slash podcast to purchase a subscription and select the right license for your needs. Clean My Mac 10 is also available in the Apple App Store. So check it out. And thanks, MacPaw, for being our sponsor. We're back. I'm chatting with Kelly Gamont. We're talking about our favorite movies, TV shows, I'm sorry, of the 80s in the first segment. The second half of the show, I want to talk about some recent movies that we have seen. Mm-hmm. The one I want to talk about is Knives Out. This oh, is a classic. I can talk and talk about Knives Out. Well, we're going to let you do that. Um, the stars are Daniel Craig, Christopher Plummer, uh, Don Johnson, and you can probably name a few others that you like. And, uh, Jamie Lee Curtis is in this, and right. she's delightful. Right. Uh, Chris, Chris Evans, Evans right. Captain America in that sweater. Yeah. Yeah. And what's cool about this movie is is that it's uh, exceptionally well photographed. It's exceptionally well written and well acted. It doesn't have any irritating aspects to it. It's surprising. It's a it's a whodunit with a twist. And it's a really, really good movie. My wife and I just enjoyed the heck out of it. Tell me your reaction. You, you yeah. watched it too. Um, I did. Um, I had to go look because I wanted to make sure I got his name right. Uh, Michael Shannon in this is in this, and he's delightful. Uh, the whodunit that they're trying to solve is the murder of Christopher Plummer, and the whole thing. It, uh, I like there's there's so much about it that I love. Um, it moves right along. So the story really hustles. So this is not a movie you put on in the background. Right. Uh, you have to sit and pay attention. Right. And you have to really be. And the best bit is that it is the kind of movie at the end that will go back and point out to you certain things that maybe at the time uh, you missed it or maybe glossed over a little. That means it's uh, a or, movie that know, can bear up to watching a second time. Oh, yes. I've seen it three or four times now. I loved it. Um, even when I know what happens, wow. I really I enjoy it. Um, but I like it because it gives the audience credit 
So, you know, there's not like the long lingering shot of the actual murderer behind the door waiting, you know, so that you know absolutely who it was all along. Uh, there, there's none of that. They don't insult your um, intelligence. There's absolutely no insulting of your intelligence. Uh, there's some other little stuff and you so, you sort of end up kind of down a random rabbit hole and you sort of wonder where this is all headed and then it comes back. And like really all you have to do, this was the advice that was given to me by my, my movie buddy and I, when my movie buddy and I went and saw this. Uh, he said, uh, don't think about it too much. Just pay attention. Don't try and figure anything out. Just Don't try and get ahead it. of the movie. Just savor Just it. Go with it. It's the kind of movie you save. Yeah. And he said, I know you're that kind of person because I am. What happened? Who's that? Why are they doing that? Um, you know, it's it's what I love about Westworld. <laughs> I have a bunch of questions and I want you to answer them for me. And so he said, uh, it's very self-contained. So the stuff that you want to know, you will find out. You just might have to wait for it. So buckle up, you know, get get your snacks and just hang on till we get to the credits and then tell me what you thought. So every once in a while out of the corner of my eye, I would notice he was kind of looking at me and I was like, something's about to happen. And it was always, Oh, that. And then he was just waiting to see what my reaction was going to (laughs) be when the thing that they've led you down is turned inside out. Um, I don't remember like everything about this movie. Tomato rating is very high. As I recall, it has to be very high. Um, yeah, it's, it's, it's very, very good. And they're making a sequel around daniel craig's character is is the last that i saw um daniel craig was very good in this movie (laughs) kind of uh, surprising in a certain way i mean if you tend to think of him as james bond you'll be amused and entertained by his character (laughs) yes uh which which i loved um i'm going to try to be vague about this but uh my favorite moment of his is uh john there's a scene where he's sitting in the car with his headphones on and I'm not going to say any more than that and uh, that was probably one of my favorite Daniel Craig moments on cinema in film uh, not just my favorite of his character here or what he's done lately or any or in this movie it's one of my favorite moments of Daniel Craig committed to film did you see him in the girl so with the dragon tattoo I did he was very good in that I enjoyed he was it. very good I went and saw that movie because he was in it quite honestly um so yeah i absolutely love knives out for exactly the kind of story that it's trying to tell so and we both like, give it five stars. i like a good yes i like a murder mystery a whodunit uh and particularly when they lead you through this really spectacular group of people they yeah. are really something uh, <laughs> nice to see don johnson after 40 years oh yeah of, yeah yeah yeah, coming back from part one where we talked about TV. Um, so, yeah, I, I absolutely recommend it, but I only recommend it if you can sit down and commit the time and, like, put yeah, the lights low and, and put your phone on Do Not Disturb right. and, you know, that kind of stuff and sit and watch. Yeah. So that that would be my only caveat to it is that you really you you not that you have to pay attention. It's that you want to pay attention. So make sure you go in with that level of commitment i guess to spending a couple of hours with one screen in front of you and it's the one with the movie on it and that's it and and just hold on until the end that's like all you can do (laughs) the next movie i want to talk about is a pixar movie now that everybody's got disney plus on their apple tv or their favorite streaming hardware there's a great movie to watch Uh, it's a new one from pixar called onward 
two elven mm-hmm. brothers embark on a quest to bring their deceased father back for just a day. And it's, uh, as Pixar movies go, uh, it's a pretty good one. I've seen some reviews where people say they didn't blow their socks off like some of the other Pixar movies. But I enjoyed it, and uh, it's got that Pixar feel and quality. Tell me what you thought. Uh, I'm one of those people who thought it was fine. Um, I think the review that I saw of it that made the most sense to me was um, this was a great DreamWorks movie and I don't understand why Pixar put it out. <laughs> and and that wasn't trying to be like a slight at DreamWorks or anything, but this this felt like it wasn't quite up to Pixar standards to me. And the reason for that is because uh, we have two main characters and we understand the struggle of one of them right away. And we understand the other one, like in very broad strokes, uh, the older brother, uh, like you said, John, it's these two brothers and the older brother is sort of set up as this kind of affable loser. Like he's adult aged, I guess in this world. Um, but still lives at home and has this van that he fixes up all the time. And he's like super, basically super obsessed with dungeons and dragons because there isn't magic in this world, even though there used to be. And, like the the problem for me was that they didn't give me anything to legitimately like or root for in the older brother who's sort of the guide of this entire thing uh, for for the younger brother until the very very end of the movie i never got glimpses of anything that made me feel like maybe he really is just misunderstood or maybe he really is like a better guy than or wants to be a better guy than he actually ends up being. And I just wasn't getting any of that. And I think maybe part of it was performance and maybe part of it was just the story because we never got any of the moments. Uh, Like a lot of Pixar stories, this is a movie about family at its base. Yeah, you didn't have that uh, tug on the heartstrings like you did in Up. Yeah. Um, I, (laughs) I can tell you all of this movie showed up on my TV in stunning high definition and uh, the last 15 minutes of Toy Story 3 are blurry no matter what I do is kind of the review I would give you of that. Somehow the last, the end of, to- I'm saying it makes my eyes water, John. Mm. I get misty at the end of Toy Story 3 100% of the time. Mm. The minute I don't do that, I've, I'm pod people and you should send help. Um, Still onward is worth <laughs> so, watching. Uh, I thought it was, I thought it was nice. I will say like, I, I'm not sorry that I spent the time, but I think Pixar has told stories like this, you know, the importance of family and the importance of who your family is, even if it's not necessarily traditional Pixar and Disney have dialed those things in for ages. And I just wanted this to be more than it ended up being. There's a great running sight gag uh, that's involved in the movie. And I'll say nothing else except weekend at Bernie's and uh, leave it at that. Four stars? I'd give it three, maybe three and a half. Okay. Next, a four-star, five-star movie, Saving Mr. Banks. Mm-hmm. The story of Walt Disney going after the author of Mary Poppins and seducing her into selling the rights to the Disney company so they can make the movie, starring Emma Thompson and Tom Hanks playing Walt Disney. One of the finest movies I've seen in the last year. I really, really enjoyed this movie. I don't know why 
but it just had this touch to it. It's magical <laughs> feeling and touch and humor. And Emma Thompson you enjoyed is it just because amazing. it was two hours of Emma Thompson and yeah. Tom Hanks. <laughs> yes. <laughs> like, yeah. they could have read the phone book to each other from the Los Angeles <laughs> metropolitan area, and it, it still would be three stars right there. You got it. Yeah. But I did, there was, there was a lot of this movie that I really enjoyed. The thing that I don't know, because this is the kind of thing I'm always curious about, is um, how relatively accurate any of this was right like i know that the pieces of of the 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 pieces that included history of pl travers who's the woman who wrote mary poppins uh like you know the the milestones of those like the broad strokes of those things were all legit and she did come to america and uh walt did take her to the park and all the like a lot of the big the 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 high points in the movie like the big stuff that you would talk about if you were talking about it you know giving a brief description um all of those things are legit what i don't know is how the mechanics of all of that actually went down which is a thing i've sort of been curious about i just haven't gone and looked um but i really did enjoy the movie and like the the best thing i think about it is that the story that they told sounded completely plausible regardless of uh, whether or not it's historically accurate, right? Like this still seems like everything could have actually gone down 100% that way. Maybe I'm watching documentary archival footage or something and it's still, that's exactly what it was. There's a charming um, secondary sideline with Colin Farrell that's really good too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, the, the stuff I liked in it as a, a massive Disney nerd is uh, the little stuff that they added uh, to to sort of make it legit, like uh, when Walt comes down the hall and one of the Sherman brothers comes in and goes, "Man is in the forest." They used to do that. That's actually a thing that they picked up from Bambi that mm. they would they would use to let people know that Walt was en route. Um, Walt coughing was how people would know that he was coming, so somebody would hear him in the hall and come in and say, "Man is in the forest." Um, like the coughing, the 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 small cough that he had every so often, that's a legitimate thing. Um, they filmed pieces of that in the actual Disney Studios. Uh, I I know that. So like the those buildings are buildings I've seen in loads of documentaries, and that's really what that room looks like, and all those kinds of things. So um, what I really appreciated about it was the the attention to those smaller things, and um, one thing that comes out of this is and I don't remember how much time they spent on it exactly in the film, but uh, Walt's Walt Disney's favorite song of all the songs was feed the birds from Mary Poppins. And so for years after the movie was released, he would go down to where the Sherman brothers were working and he would say, would you play it for me? And they'd just play. They knew exactly what to do. They would play him feed the birds and he'd sit there for a minute and thank them very much and then go back to work. Hmm. Nice touch. Nice touch. Yeah. And that, like, knowing that that came out, like, you know, watching how he responded to that song in this movie, because I know that already, like, those sorts of things to me were really interesting to see. Well, we're running out of time. We're almost okay. done. We have time for one more show. I don't know if you've had a chance to catch it yet. I've recommended it to you called The Lost yes, you Room did. on Amazon. And I have not seen it yet. Um, but my Westworld viewing time has come to an end, so I will have space for a new show. So uh, I'm, I, it's basically the next thing on my list now that uh, Westworld is over. The Lost Room is one season, six episodes, science fiction, high quality, very well written. It reminds me of Lost 
because it's the last room, maybe. Um, mm -hmm. it, it came on after Lost started, so I think maybe they were influenced a little bit about the spookiness of the science fiction aspect of it. It's about a mysterious hotel room where in May of 1961, these objects magically appeared. And each object, whether it was a, a pair of scissors or a hotel room key or a knife, had special abilities that people sought after and tried to acquire and got into yeah. trouble trying to amass the fortune of all the hundred or so special objects. And as these special objects come loose from their owners, percolate out into society, uh, they cause no end of grief. And Peter Krauss plays a detective who gets suddenly immersed in the situation when he comes in contact with people trying to sell the key to each other. And then his daughter uh, goes into the motel room that he this key unlocks and sort of like uh, the interdimensional travel. And you, know, you walk into the door and suddenly you're in Gallup, New Mexico in a dusty old hotel room that was shut down years ago. Oh, and wow. his daughter accidentally disappears into another dimension and he spends the rest of the series trying to accumulate the right kinds of objects so that he can recover his daughter from interdimensional space and get her back alive. And it is really funny. And we get to the each end of each episode and you're going to go, wow, I got to binge watch this. I can't stop now. <laughs> and it's got Peter Jacobson from House and Julianna oh, yeah. Marguli from The Good Wife. Yeah. And Peter Krause, I don't know what else he's done, but he's exceptional in this show. So. Uh, he was... He was in Six Feet Under, and he was also on a show that I love very much called Sports Night. I haven't seen those, but uh, he was perfect for this role. He's got that twinkle in his eye, that sense of determination of a father, sense of intelligence about what to do next. And despite the opaqueness and the mysteriousness of events, he sort of muddles through. And the show is kind of abrupt in some ways. It kind of catches you off guard, and uh, you're... You're uh, pleased with the um, no-nonsense aspect of it. It certainly doesn't insult your intelligence. In fact, it leaves you kind of puzzled and trying to figure mm -hmm. out what the heck is going on. So in that sense, it's one of those, you know, really good lost, like, pay attention. We're going mm -hmm. to break your brain. <laughs> <laughs> so I do like those. I highly recommend the, the, the Lost Room. All right. So I guess we're done for this episode. Thanks for joining okay. me. Okay. It was so much fun. Kelly, uh, tell me some about some of the other podcasts that you're on as well. We'll give you a promo moment. <laughs> okay. Um, well, I'm, I'm not great at promotion, um, but I, you can hear me over on the Daily Observations podcast, like John said at the top of the show. Uh, I have my own podcast about Westworld, uh, on the Incomparable Network. Uh, it's called Greetings from the Uncanny Value, Valley. And that's a show uh, specifically about Westworld. Like I said, season three, the finale just aired on Sunday night. And so it's going to be forever before we get more. But there is a season four coming. So when it does, uh, we'll, we'll definitely be talking about that. So you can find that over at incomparable.com slash TV, T-E-E-V-E-E. -E -E. Uh, the TV feed is many different television shows, but the one that's mine is Greetings from the Uncanny Valley. I show up on other uh, incomparable podcasts as well. So occasionally if there's uh, a conversation to be had about Star Wars, you can hear me be part of that. <laughs> um, and I do uh, some of the game show things and stuff there. And I also have a podcast with uh, my podcasting compadre, 
uh, Mike Rose, who some people may remember from the unofficial Apple weblog fame. Um, He's been on background Os- mode too. He was. He, was he has. Uh, when he, when, when Tua ended up spinning down, uh, they, they ended the, they sent out a note and said, we're ending all the podcasts. And the next email in my inbox was from Mike and it said, so want to start a podcast. So we've been, uh, in, in fits and starts, we occasionally end up with longer hiatuses than intended. Uh, but you can find us at aftershowpodcast.com. And that's called the after show with Mike and Kelly. And, uh, that one is a lot of fun too. And uh, I pop up on other stuff when people want to get my opinion about something. Um, you can usually hear me uh, discussing things with Chuck Joyner. Sometimes, uh, sometimes we disagree and sometimes it's just sort of um, hashing something out. And that's over at MacVoices.com as well. So that's most of the places you can find me. Cool, cool. Yeah, you're a great podcaster. I enjoy listening Thank to you, you and so working much. with you. I enjoy listening and working with you as well. Thanks for joining me on the show. It's been fun. You are more than welcome. I'm happy to do it. Folks, you've been listening to John Marchalero and Kelly Gamont on the Mac Observer's Background Mode. We'll see you again next week.